and who called Girl Trek the most transformative idea on the planet. And then yeah. it was another friend from Omega Institute who had invited me to that museum opening. So I'm saying, and then at the museum opening, I was ready, y'all. I had all y'all in my ear. I was like, don't be shook right here in this museum. Forget the Smithsonian. Go, go in, go in, go in. So I went over to Oprah and she couldn't have been nicer and kinder. And she put her arms around me and I told her our story. I told her how you guys were out there organizing so that we could get a million women to walk. And so, yeah, I did take an ask this week that she come and join us on this walk. But it was actually a bunch of people sticking their necks out for us, including all of you who organized, which is the reason why she said yes. You know, Rolodex, Smolodex, I'm like not that person. <laughs> Just not that person. But I do like stand tall when the time comes and I'm not scared. I'm not scared. So I just wanted to correct the record a little bit. I was like, when you paid me the compliment, I felt it felt really nice. And that's so thank you for saying that. And I was like, it's not exactly true. And things happen when a village of people rally for it. Mm, that's really good. I'm thinking about it. You are that person. I was like, you are that person. So it's actually back to the, I talked about this on bootcamp a couple of days ago, and I was giving the analogy of how when we, our requests, the things, the ruminations of our heart, the seeds that have just been planted that we don't even necessarily know how to sprout on them. I really believe yeah. that when we petition the universe, sometimes we don't even have know in that moment we are petitioning the universe. It's just like the example I said, we press in and we don't know how and when the blessing is going to come back. So even over time, yes. you have built a relationship with Courtney for you to have built yes. it. I'm just saying that you are that yes. person. And the prayer started, I mean, trust me, way, way, way back when we didn't even have no, we had a Gmail. We was like, if we could ever get Oprah, if we could ever get Oprah, that was a prayer. That was a prayer. That was a prayer on our heart way, way back. You are that person. God has put you in position to be that person. And of course, there are so many people who from point A to point Z make Girl Trek happen, make this work happen, made yesterday happen. And God telling all of us, we are those people. Well, it reminds um, me of my favorite from a church quote that I used at the beginning of this is that there's spiritual warriors that are rising up and they won't even know they're spiritual warriors and they won't be that glamorous, but they are going to be the people who are not afraid to be insecure. And that's what I was trying to acknowledge. There's so many people who have been unafraid to be insecure and risk everything for this movement, to risk their reputation, to risk, you know, sometimes their jobs, out there organizing, like all sorts of things. And mostly risk their pride, you know what I mean, in order to stick their neck out to try something new. And I just really appreciate those people. So thank you for that. And thank you for everyone who is not afraid to be insecure because you are a yeah. spiritual warrior. Yeah. And we're going to get to her story in just a minute, Gwendolyn Brooks, who I just love. She is exactly actually the woman you just, the person you just described. She was somebody who was willing to take risks. She was somebody yeah. who... Even today, in today's world of poetry, even I thought as a reflection of the day after Maya Angelou, Gwendolyn Brooks won the Pulitzer Prize, the first black woman to win a Pulitzer Prize, and she won it in poetry. And yet so many people don't know her name. So she was like one of those quiet soldiers who was out on the battlefield doing exactly what you said. And she did some stuff that was really sticking her neck out that we're going to talk about in a second. And the things that she decided to talk about, and this is a woman who started writing in the late 40s. And the things she started talking about, she was really doing that. So yes to all of us being spiritual warriors and doing that work, exactly like you said. Yeah. So welcome to day nine of Black History Bootcamp with my girl, Morgan. Morgan, I want to get into the story of Gwendolyn Brooks, but I have to ask one quick question. And this is a gut check for everyone. 
you know that I actually have always spiritually believed that like the new year starts in the fall and I kind of my birthday is in the fall and I always just feel like the fall is new beginnings. We've been having this debate, but I actually had a woman read my astrological chart like six or seven months ago. And actually, really, I am in the middle of my actual birth harvest season. And today, October 15th, I randomly was looking back at my notes is the day start of my new year. And as part of my new year, I'm supposed to be thinking about what are the seeds that I want to plant this year. And I was like, yeah, that was even what we talked about in this prayer check is like, what are our intentions? And I promise to God, I struggled to even remember the intentions I set nine days ago publicly in front of thousands of people while we were walking. And I was like, that's a shame. It's a shame. And it's a reminder to everyone. Right. (laughs) But what were your seeds and what were your intentions? And I'm saying that genuinely, that as we listen to the story of Gwendolyn Brooks, and that's why I started with God's got a blessing, God's got a blessing with your name on it, because it's like God does have a blessing with our name on it, but we got to actually say and put words to envision to what it is. So I just was wondering, what were the intentions you said at the beginning of these nine days? Have they shifted? What new seeds are you trying to plant? Do you have any? Like, what are, uh, is there a transformation you're hoping to happen in this moment? Yeah. Yeah. So my seed was to be silent and quiet and to create more space in my life. And I have been doing that, Vanessa, and I want to do more of it. And, you know, my friend, I sent you a text. I was live tweeting my Bible study to Vanessa. (laughs) And my friend Erica was saying that busyness is a function of our mindset. And she was like, actually take that word out of your vocabulary and stop being busy and start being intentional and start creating the life and space you want in your life. And she was just laying it on us. I'll post the exact quote that she said on my IG. It was so powerful. And I was like, yeah, I'm actually have been starting to like prioritize my life in a different way. I've started to get up and make space every single morning for drinking tea, for sitting outside, for laughing with my loved ones, for calling people. And then I start day. And then I decide what I want to do in my day. And then I practice a hearty no. I say as many no's as I do say yeses because my yeses are really, really important to me. So I've been trying to do that. I'm going to continue to do it. And then, Vanessa, I want to add one where I just want to cultivate yeah. some kind of radical joy that just like spills out as <laughs> like just radiant joy. I really want to practice that for, for the next, you know, however many more days we have. But what about yours? I love that. I live again. Y'all go back on the notes and tell me what I said. But in this moment, I was just like, if the supreme lesson of my life is not asking for what I need, then there ain't no other lessons. It's probably it all starts there. So I can't go to all these other places until I start with the foundation. And my intention has to be to continue to ask for what I need, even if it's hard, even if it makes people upset, even if I don't get it back and then I can assess if that situation is the situation for me or not. But I have to just ask for what I need unapologetically. So I am praying for the courage, for the strength, for the lion's, what do you call it in yoga when you have the lion's tongue of look? All of the stuff that I need. I don't remember. <laughs> oh, this is, I'm going to tell this a quick story. It's, I was walking today, actually, and I was walking around in a circle around the block, and I was like, we have a friend named Janine. She leads something called Rhythm Therapy, and Janine, that teaching that she has taught us, Morgan, around not going in the line, around not going in the circle, around breaking free around not following the crown, around where are we adopting the patterns of oppression versus even assessing if they're really there or not. That's such a powerful teaching as we walk. I think we should try to incorporate it into one of the other segments, one of the other walking talks, and maybe do it as a meditation even. 
Oh, I love it. So, I love it. yeah, I love that. No, too. it's, it's that shocking. Too. Like we used to do something called wellness revivals for people who are just joining Girl Trek, and all these women would come for three hours. And you do COVID, go away, COVID, go away. I'm I know, it's so nice. I want to hug you and touch you. I want to walk with you in real person time. It's sad. And so Janine, Janine, with her rhythm therapy, she would be myped up and all serious, and then all the black women from like Detroit or, or wherever he was, Houston at the time. It would be hundreds of us standing in a circle ready to do rhythm therapy. And then she would tell us to walk, and we would immediately start yeah. following each other. Immediately with we would our start hands following on each our other shoulders. Even. Remember, she told yes. us to put our hands on our shoulders. Yes. yes. Well, no, even before that, the pattern is to, yeah, she would start in like shadow slavery. She would start with our arms on each other, and she would play this like work music, and you would just walk in a circle. And then she would play this liberation music and tell you to break free. But nobody would break free. People would still walk in that same pattern of oppression. They would still follow the person in front of them. They would still wait for somebody to ask until there would be. And mostly we would look around. Yeah. And we would look around shyly and tentatively, like to see or do we have permission? Has somebody else started to move? And then Janine would be like, why are you looking? Why you need permission from that woman to move where you need to move to do what you need to do? And it is such a powerful reminder. So yes, we do not need permission. So on today's walk, we listen to Instagram if people want to follow her. Rhythm Therapy Um, 9, I think. Rhythm Therapy 9. And then she's on um, Patron as something Black woman. Oh, and uh, visible black woman, visible black woman, visible black, visible black woman, woman. Visible black woman. Yes. production. Visible yes. black woman, yes, visible black woman, yes. That's so yes. good. So follow yes. her. She's an yes. incredible, incredible teacher. Okay. Yes, she is. All right, Morgan. The first thing you need to know about Gwendolyn Brooks is this, and I'm gonna go back and tell her whole story. But we all know that she, I just said, was the first black woman to win the Pulitzer Prize. She won it for poetry. This is shady as heck. The year 1950. The Pulitzer Prize jury, y'all, the two works that they were mainly considering awarding it to, one was from a white guy named Lord, I can't remember, and God bless this white guy for being the one time we can't remember his name, so he doesn't matter. But the other guy, Morgan, was Robert Frost. So ignorant. I know. So Robert Frost and this other guy. Robert Frost, for those of you, anybody who's gone to English seventh grade, he has been celebrated and awarded as like the greatest poet of all time. And Will Morgan, while he was up for the Pulitzer Prize that year, somebody on the jury had to go to bat for Gwendolyn Brooks and say this. And this is the problem. But he's already won it four times. He had already won the Pulitzer Prize four times. And they were getting ready to award it to him again, a fifth time for basically a compilation of the poems he already had got the Pulitzer Prize for. And the jury said, this cannot be what it is, right? And they said, amidst all of this kind of standard that we know, there is this one Black woman who is out there. And we have come across her work. And she is telling the story of urban Black America. She's not pulling any punches. She's not even making it flowery. She's not even making the everyday spectacular. She is making the everyday real through her words. And so Gwendolyn Books beat out Robert Frost for the Pulitzer Prize in 1950 to become the first Black woman to win a Pulitzer oh, Prize. Yes. And I was just thinking the whole story is like, ain't that about it? Because imagine if before 1950, the Pulitzer Prize jury had been actually 
reviewing the works in the way that they should have and being inclusive in the way that they should have, she wouldn't certainly have been the first. And the and Robert Frost, God bless Robert Frost as a poet, would not have won that award four times. So it's like we have got to even evaluate our institutions and the decisions that they have been making. And I've been thinking that in particular as we've been watching the Senate confirmation hearings for the Supreme Court. And I'm just like, when is somebody ever going to just say the whole process is a scam, though? And all this, no, and that, they keep I mean, talking about... There's a theme right. that we're that we're exploring around risk taking and people don't like change, Vanessa. Any democracy where you have a son who's president and his father was president means actually we, we're not a true democracy. That's what it means. And so like if you have Robert Frost or Prince or Seinfeld winning multiple times when you have millions, billions of people in the country, the liar, it's not a which true never democracy. won a which never won a Graham uh, Emmy or a Golden Globe. It is not, right? And so then all of a sudden when we are now trying to uphold these institutions as the moral authority around decision-making moving forward, part of our radical protest and part of the new design that I think we can have in this world is an obligation, actually, is to rethink every system which has proven to be ineffective, unjust, and not for us. And as I'm watching the Supreme Court hearings and as I read what happened to Gwendolyn Brooks in this Pulitzer Prize, I'm saying all of the institutions Every single one of them needs to be a light shined on them, and they need to be scrutinized. And we need to celebrate ourselves. So we need to also yes, like Salon said, the BET Awards. You know, all the things yeah. that we've created to sell or Black History Bootcamp. We need to celebrate those things instead of waiting for whoever to tell our story. You know. Look, one day so when Beverly Bonds hear about Black History Bootcamp, and she invites us finally to the Black Girls Rock Award, which is the award of all awards that I believe in and awards. And I get my fancy sequin dress, and I get my weave laid inches down to the back because the movement requires bundles. And I step onto that red carpet, Morgan. I'm ready. I'm gonna be ready. Black Girls Rock, like who need? I agree with you. I totally agree. Yeah. There was such a moment when Angela Bassett was talking on Black Girls Rock on the last one. It was such a breakthrough moment for her. I was so proud and like so yes. you know what I mean yes she's one of those yes. women who's always so polished and she had like such a moment and I was so grateful to Beverly for creating that for her so yeah yeah me too Tag Beverly. so Morgan who is Brendan Book, this 32 year old woman living on the south side of Chicago who won the Pulitzer Prize in 1950 first of all if we were casting a spy movie I have determined she literally could be cast perfectly as the black woman spy in the neighborhood. She was a little bit awkward. The way she enunciated was a little bit so precise that you kind of leaned in. She was a little bit quirky in this way that she said she actually never felt kind of like, not dissimilar to the Octavia Butler, by the way, in which she felt like, especially as a dark-skinned Black woman, there wasn't a space for her. And so she was kind of making her own lane. She was born, shout out to Topeka, Kansas, Morgan. She was born in Topeka, Kansas. Morgan is from Kansas, y'all. She'd be claiming California, but her roots is Kansas. So Gwendolyn Brooks was born in Kansas. (laughs) To the Native American community, to everybody in California, the homesteaders, the Dust Bowl. Sorry. Yeah, exactly. I'll be front. Um, She was born in 1970, and her parents moved to Chicago when she was six weeks old as part of what hopefully most of us have read about. If you haven't, then start with The Warmth of Other Sons as a book to start reading about the great migration and the massive movement of Black folks who literally fled, as refugees, Morgan, the rural South, because they didn't have a place that was safe to go. And they settled in urban areas in the North and in the Midwest. And Gwendolyn Brooks, 
family settled in Chicago and she embodied Chicago. She said it became the place where her storytelling became alive and she drew all of her experiences from Chicago. So she's like a favorite daughter of Chicago right now. She started writing at the age of 11 years old. And I love this part about her story, Morgan. Talk about like being fearless. Even as a young girl, she believed so much in her writing that she was like, I'm going to get into the Chicago Defender, which was a paper at the time, which we talked about having to do with Ida B. Wells even. And I'm going to get into that because Gwendolyn Brooks was a major anti-lynching advocate. And I didn't know that. But she was like, 11 years old, she was like, yeah, I'm going to get my poems into the Chicago Defender. And so she started writing ballads. She started writing sonnets. She started writing all sorts of different types of poems. And she actually sent them to James Weldon Johnson, to Richard Wright, and to Langston Hughes. And James Weldon Johnson sent her back her first critique of her first poem when she was only 16 years old. So part of what Gwendolyn Brooks' writing was about was the everyday pain of Black people, but also our joy. Like she talked in a rhythmic dance that some people felt was a precursor even to hip hop. Like she was one of those first type of artists. And in her very first book, which was A Street in Bronzeville, one of the poems in that book, Morgan, is a poem called Mother. And that poem, I actually considered playing it on Black History Bootcamp, but I felt like it might be triggering to some women or it was deep or it was in the spirit that I felt uncomfortable even playing it. That's just to show you how raw she gets. The poem Mother is talking about women who have chosen to have abortions and, you know, the regrets that they face after, the feelings that they have after, just from an honest, non-judgmental, emotional stance. And Richard Wright, this is, remember, this is 1948, I think this was, and abortion wasn't even legal mainly across the United States. Richard Wright responded to the entire volume saying this work was brilliant this work was you know everything and also I would not put that one poem up in there because it's just too much and that people are not going to receive the other work but she was like there is no other work if there's not the truth so the poem stays in and it did and it became a significant part of her body of work that she was even going to be able to talk about the things that were important to her even from her own point of view which I feel like is really really like a um, message that's a word right there it is a word. You don't have nothing if you don't have the truth. Oh, yes. I love it. Keep yes. going. Yes, it is. Good. So some of you then read in the email that her next volume of work, which was actually, it was a poem about a Black girl named Annie, and it was literally like a book that was a long-length poem. So you read, Morgan, and this is the most important part of the story, in the email, her lights weren't on, but the most powerful part of the story I want to emphasize is that she was sitting in her house. The reporter had called her, said, you won the Pulitzer Prize. She's 32 years old. Her light bill has not been paid. And she said the sun was going down and she was panicked. And in that story, I kept thinking of her being panicked the whole night because she said she woke up the next day and she was petrified. So she had held on to this fear, Morgan, about the lights not coming on once. And you know how it is, Black girl. You get your big moment. You're on the stage. The people come in. You got the call. They like the video camera, the crew. They, they're coming. So she's like, this is my moment. But it was yeah. everything she thought wasn't true. Someone had already gone down to the light company and paid the bill. You so have been all, paid night for. She, all night she had been holding on to a sense of dread and expectation around something that God had already had her back on, that a, a perfect stranger had actually already had her back on. And that's a lesson for every Black woman on this call. But then one of the most beautiful things that I read about her, Morgan, is that somebody said, well, look, that was just indicative of her spirit. They said, because kindness 
was her religion. And Gwendolyn Brooks, yes, kindness was her religion, they said. And she had a commitment to being kind to people that went so far beyond her writing. She was an educator, Morgan. She was a mentor. She actually personally raised money and sent writers back to Africa so that they could go there and sojourn and write from a place of authority. She developed the Gwendolyn Brooks like award and started awarding it to young people in her community. So she didn't just sit around and like, yes, she was powerful. And then, and I love this. There was some rumors. I ain't saying the rumors is true. The rumors is false, but the rumors that she was heavily involved in McCarthyism. And (laughs) at the time, Right. Look, all I'm saying is the current structure may not or may not have been working for her. So for those of you who do not know, there was a famous Black actor and his name was Paul Robinson. And Paul Robinson was um, a famous baritone. Did you know that he was targeted for McCarthyism, being a spy, being yes. the government? All the, yes, no, they took heavily. They, went, they took yeah, his passport. No, no, no. Exactly. And, and nobody would... Yes, they thought, and that's what I was going to say, nobody in white Hollywood, especially, was willing to speak up in this era because they were afraid of themselves being accused. So it took a few brave people, and Ruby Dee and Ozzie Davis were a few of those people, but you know who else was one of those people? Her name was Gwendolyn Brooks, and she wrote a poem for him. And a part of that poem, and once you know this, you are going to understand. She is saying, this Black man has stuck his neck out for us. This black man is beautiful and I need to stand up for him. And people were saying, do not do it. Do not do it. And a part of her poem, she said, that time we all heard it. The major voice, the adult voice, warning and musical words, devout and large, that we are each other's harvest. We are each other's business. And we are each other's magnitude and bond. So that quote, which has been used and proliferated and taken out of context in so many ways, that she wrote in defense of Paul Robeson, calling on other Black people to stand up and be brave. And she said, no, now is not the time for silence. We are each other's harvest. We are each other's business. We are each other's magnitude and bond. And right now, in this moment, we need to remember that more than ever. In the spirit of rent parties, in the spirit of, yes. Yes. Can I just say how beautiful that those words, the precision of her words, how beautiful that is in the era of McCarthyism, which was a witch hunt. Yes. Like to call in the harvest to say we are each other's bond and harvest. We are each other's business. Like that's when you need women like Gwendolyn Brooks and Maya Angelou to call us to a higher rock, to call us to a higher calling. You understand what I mean? To go you high. Do. When they you go do. Low. You do. You know what I mean? And that's why I said, Morgan, that's why I wanted to remind people today in the email that this walk today, it's a celebration of Gwendolyn Brooks. But actually, as I was reading her story, I was like, oh, no, no, no. This is a celebration of our great, great grandmothers who didn't have anything but the culture, traditions and recipes of their ancestors. And they packed that stuff up and said, we are going north in search of something different. This is a celebration of our great, great grandmothers who literally had rent parties 
who in the spirit right now where you are at home figuring out how to educate your child was like, we're going to get up in this living room and make some stuff happen. Like we are solution makers. We source the solutions, even the solutions that we see at scale today in this country. And God, y'all wait for February is going to go down when we get into all the stuff we have created. But even the solutions that we see today in this country right now, Morgan, like we have had such a hand in it and yet people are not giving us the credit. So part of what I learned from Gwendolyn Brooks story is that to remember that we are the daughters of praying black women. And then in fact, Gwendolyn Brooks didn't need to worry about the light switch coming on that day. Somebody knew, somebody knew, God knew already because he knows her story that on that day and that moment, she was going to have her shine and they weren't going to have the lights off. God yes. is light, God is truth, but God is one, two or three gather and pay attention and hold each other as our harvest and bond and pay close attention yes. to what your sister's needs are. Because you know somebody right now who could use their light bill paid. You know somebody right now who needs a job. You know somebody you can help provide that for her. So we actually have. And Morgan, later in life, she was asked, said, well, who did it? And she was like, I never found out. Yeah. I never found out. You you are absolutely right. So much of of Sandria in Chicago. Sandria's religious kindness. She reminds me, Sandria, I hope you're listening to this, and I hope you write a Pulitzer Prize winning novel because you have those skills. And you're so kind that your lights can never go out, Sandria, because you have invested in so many Black women, and I'm so proud of you, and you represent Chicago as well as Gwendolyn Brooks. So she reminds me so much of her. So, so, Sandria, they call her Sandria Washington. Look her up, hire her, (laughs) do some stuff. Look, that woman is blowing up. She's awesome. I mean, she is awesome. When you were just talking yes. about we are our grandmother's daughters, I was thinking yesterday I posted the I Hope You Dance lyrics on my Facebook and my aunt Melva, who I haven't talked that much about, responded and said, I hope you do dance, Tanny. And listen, because she was the one who plugged in the big microphone in her big stereo system and played Luther Vandross. So we had karaoke before karaoke was a thing. And we learned every single yeah. song. <laughs> you understand what I mean? And she's the one who rolled down the grass with me. So I was like, you taught me how to dance, Auntie. You know what I mean? You taught me how to dance in the storm. So I'm so grateful for these women who came before us. I'm so grateful. Call your auntie. I call am your mama. Too. Call people. Yeah. yeah. Call everyone. And Morgan, we're going to have a walking meditation. We're going to go old school on our walking meditation, y'all, to listen to some LaShawn Pace prayer. We'll fix it for you because that is the power of these calls. And that's why I wanted to center us back around whatever intentions that we set, whatever seeds that we wanted to plant. Let's not forget them. Let's hold each other accountable that this can be a time of total healing and transformation, not just a time of storytelling or Instagram popping our collars because of Oprah or any of that. No, this can be a time of personal transformation. You can be blessed in the story of Gwendolyn Brooks. You can also be a blessing with somebody else. And in that spirit, Morgan, right now, there are two prayer requests that I was thinking of and holding on to. One is from one of our board members, Shala. I'm just lifting her and her family up in prayer because you know they were going through some health challenges. And I was just like, you told a story about her earlier today on a different call that we were on and talk about an ally. Oh my gosh, Shala Gupta who lives in Chicago. That's so great. The board of directors. She literally sat down with Morgan. I felt like it was a year. She sat down with Morgan and us for a year on phone calls and helped us write our first grant application. When we got rejected, she was like, oh no, I have some ideas for how I think we could change it. Like she just is so powerful. So I want to put her specifically on the prayer request to say that I know prayer changes things. And then Carla, who leads our care to say, she had shared 
a prayer request from a woman in our community, Renee, out west. I won't even share the details of it, but I just want the woman to know we are reading the prayer request. I am meditating on the prayer request. I am holding your prayer request, holding space for those prayer requests. And every single woman who's on this call, the power of our walking will intentionally bring those things forth right at the moment where you think that the lights ain't going to come on, they're going to come on. I know because of the work that we are doing here. So, Morgan, do you have any requests of people yeah. name you want to call out right now? Yes, please. Well, I want to thank you and China for putting the prayer request link in so people have them. Sometimes it's helpful to write out your ask. You know, Vanessa, you were saying after what you want. You have to be precise with even your ask. And you don't have to frame it in any kind of way, but just write what you want, what you need, what you desire right now. And you can write it there and you can have thousands, hundreds of thousands of Black women put feet to those prayer and that intention and bring energy to it. So I encourage you all to use that. And then just in the spirit of walking and praying together, I'd love to offer a prayer. I just want to ask God to make kindness our religion. I want to ask God to help us remember the sisters who need us right now. I want to ask God to cover our feet in every step we take, and particularly the steps that feel insecure, that feel unstable. Let us be stable as rocks. Let us be stable as rooted trees like our grandmothers as we step forward and say, we thank you for everyone who's come before us, and we ask you to be with us right in this moment as we walk and talk together. We thank you, Sue. Amen. Amen. And can I actually introduce another prayer into this moment? Because we have women from the truth table. And then we're going to go, ladies, right after the prayer, we're going to go into LaShawn Pace and get into that rhythm. Like, let it sit inside of you and assume the feeling that the prayer has already been answered. So let us go, Ebony, in prayer with the truth table. Thank you, ladies from the truth table, for sending us this prayer. They are the truth. Hey, y'all. I'm McKemini. I'm Michelle. And I'm Christina, and we're the co-hosts of the podcast, Truth's Table. And we are so honored to join with our Girl Tret sisters in prayer. Today we are praying about wisdom, so let's go before our thrice holy God. Triune God, we come before you knowing that you dwell in unapproachable light, O oh God, but you invite us to come before your throne boldly to your throne of grace, asking for what we need in this hour, in this moment, oh God. And we just thank you so much, oh God, that your word says that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, oh God, and we need your wisdom so desperately today, oh God. We are looking to you, oh God, because you are the only one that can deliver us, oh Lord, from the bondage, oh Lord, from the oppression, oh Lord God, from this plague that has swept the whole globe, oh God. We need your wisdom, God. We need your power, oh God. We need love, oh God. So I ask, oh Lord, that you would rain down your wisdom, oh Lord God. The wisdom, oh God, that you imparted to Ida B. Wells, oh Lord God. The wisdom that you imparted to Sojourner Truth, oh God. The wisdom, oh Lord, that you gave to Fannie Lou Hamer, oh God. And the wisdom personified in our Lord Jesus Christ, Oh God, we thank you 
that we look to Jesus and that we trust in Jesus, God. And we ask, oh God, that you would grant us the wisdom that we need, oh Lord God, to be able to discern the times and to know what to do, oh Lord. So steady our feet, oh Lord. Set our faces like flint, oh God, as we continue to work on behalf of our people, oh Lord. And we seek, oh Lord, to glorify you in all that we do, oh Lord. I pray this all in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen and amen. Gracious God, we're so thankful for your word. You remind us in the book of James that we can come to you and ask for wisdom and that we don't have to be ashamed in making that request. We can cast off pride and we can cast off our capes of superwomanhood, oh God, and we can come before you and say, we are fully human as you have made us, oh God. And so we cry out for your divine wisdom today. Would you pour out your spirit anew on us? Would you give us the wisdom to know how to love, to know how to share, to know how to speak, to know how to march, to know how to protest, oh God. Help us to use our voices to point to your love, your hope, your joy, and your peace. We thank you, God, and we agree with you about how you have made us, that you have made us fearful and wonderful, oh God, that you have that you have composed us, oh God, and that you have thought of us since the very beginning of time. And so, God, we cry out to you because your word reminds us that you are an ever-present help in the times of trouble. And God, we are in a time of trouble. Oh Lord, we're troubled in our minds, our thoughts, in our bodies, and in our society. And so we place ourselves into your capable hands, oh God. Give us wisdom and give us hope. Hold us up, prop us up on every side, and let our mouths speak what is true, what is good, what is right, what is holy, what is life-giving to each other and to our sisters. Amen and amen. I love the Lord, God heard my cry, and pity every groan. Long as I live, while troubles rise, I'll hasten to God's throne I can't fix it for you
Before you get in your situation, before you throw your hands.